I, uh, as most of you know, I'm just coming off of this uh, sabbatical that I took where I kind of flatlined and called everything into question, and it was a very wonderful uh, period. Uh, miserable and wonderful, if you know what I mean. And um, out of that came uh, a... I was going to talk about that for you know, the first couple of weeks, dealing with doubt and things of that sort. But the thing that's really on my heart, I just can't put off a couple more weeks. I, I want to just dive into it, and it's about the kingdom. Um, and uh, what I learned, what I've gained through this experience that I've been through will be coming out in these messages. But I'm going to start a series on, on the kingdom. And, and the message today that's going to start it all off, I want to cryptically call kingdom consciousness. Kingdom consciousness. And I want to read two passages of scripture here. Paul says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians chapter 5. And then again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, All of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, as in our mind, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. All those who see the glory are gradually transformed into the glory. You become what you see. You become what you see. Let's pray. Our Father, you are in heaven in that glorious transcendent state. And we make holy your name. Hallowed be your name. It is holy, it is distinct, it is set apart. And our prayer, Lord, this morning and always, because nothing else matters, is that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives as it is in heaven. Wake us up. I pray, Lord, this morning you would use this message to wake us up to what it looks like to walk in such a way that your will is being done in our life as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I had some coffee this morning, and I've got coffee mouth. Could anyone here in the front row have a mint or something? I, you know, I, I feel the people... There we go. Thank you. The people in the front row have the most to lose by me not getting a mint, so I thought I'd ask you for a minute. Thank you. In this, what I had called the dark night of the soul, uh, which I think was really a light day of the soul, but we call it dark night because that's how it feels. I had everything, I, I, everything was, was called into question. I had to deconstruct everything, uh, tear it, let it all fall to the ground and start from ground zero and ask the question, uh, what is real? Authenticity is the primary virtue. What is real? What do I really think about these topics? When I step out of the stream that I've been in for 12 years of Woodland Hills Church, what do I believe? Um, when there's no social pressure on me to think one way or another, what do I really think about an assortment of issues? And when I let everything fall to the ground, crumble to the ground, uh, what arose out of that, precisely because I let everything else fall to the ground, 
was the kingdom, the dome in which God is king. And I was able to see the kingdom in a way that was more beautiful than I've ever seen it before. I have known a lot about the kingdom, and I have caught glimpses of the kingdom, but I now feel that, and this is the thing that came out of this, I I have uh, an eye for the kingdom and a nose for the kingdom. Uh, I'm on the scent of the kingdom like never before. I see something in a dimension that I've never seen before. I'm a man, honestly, obsessed with the kingdom. I, I, I don't care about much of anything else. I, I just want to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And um, what I see is that the kingdom is more beautiful than we've ever imagined. It's, it's more lovely, it's pure, yet more powerful. It is the simplest thing on earth, and yet it's the most profound thing on earth. It's as simple as a baby's smile, but as profound as the square root of pi or the mathematical theorem for loop theory or quantum physics or all those theories put together. The kingdom is simple, profound, beautiful, challenging, and I believe quite rare. And when you get an eye for the kingdom, when you see the kingdom, not just know about the kingdom, but when you see the kingdom, you know that this is why you were created. This is the purpose for everything. You, you know that this is that which you've always longed for. When you see the kingdom, not just know about the kingdom, uh, you, you know that this is that to which all beautiful music and mythology and everything else that's good, noble, and true, this is that to which it points. It's the summation of everything. And to the degree that you see that kingdom, to that degree you're transformed by the kingdom. And to the degree that you don't see that kingdom, to that degree you can't be transformed by the kingdom. Because it's not knowing about the kingdom that changes us. It's knowing the kingdom. It's what you see, Paul says, that determines what you become. We need to understand that there's a world of difference. How desperately we need to understand that there's a world of difference between knowing about something and knowing that something. A world of difference. Let me illustrate it this way. Put up our entirely boring picture. This is a very boring picture. It looks like wallpaper, doesn't it? And you might get bored with it as you're looking at it and might want to move on to something, know more about something else. But I'll tell you something about this picture. Jesus is in this picture. Now, are some of you familiar with this uh, 3D magic eye uh, picture? How many of you have ever done the magic eye pictures? Okay, most of you have. Well, at least half of you have. The rest of you are going to be entirely lost. But, but, see, if you look at this picture in a certain way, you can see Jesus. Uh, he'll come out as a three-dimensional figure. It's the coolest thing in the world. He comes out at you. Just try to stare at it. Don't get bored with the design on the page. Attend to it. Don't look for Jesus on the page. Some of you are going, okay, is, is he to the left or the right of, of that bird there? No, no, see, don't look for Jesus on the page. You have to look for Jesus in the depth of the page. To see Jesus, just relax and take in the whole. Let your eyes kind of go blurry. And you might all of a sudden find Jesus arising from that page in a three-dimensional, beautiful, beautiful way. He's not on the page. He's in the depth of the page. If you can't see it at first, relax. If you get upset and tense, uh, it, it, it's going to block your seeing. Just, just, just relax and let it happen. 
You may see him for a moment and then lose him and then see him again. But the more you see him, the easier it is to see him. Has, does anybody see it yet? Oh, oh good. Okay, last night we, we totally struck out. We got three people. Okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. At, at the end of the service, we'll put this back up here. And, uh, and you can spend the rest of your Sunday afternoon trying to see Jesus here. But it's a very cool thing. Now, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that seeing the kingdom is a lot like this. You can't find the kingdom on the page of your life, alongside of other things. You find the kingdom in all of its beauty when you look for the kingdom in the depths of all of your life. Like a magic eye picture. You find them not alongside of the facts of your life, but in the depths of all the facts of your life. Now, I'll come back to that and I'll flesh that out a little bit. But I want to tell you this. I'm going to do something entirely different here this morning. I've got, I've got about 35 minutes. I uh, am, this, what I'm going to say here this morning is absolutely central to everything. It is, to me, the center of, it is just, it is the essence of the kingdom. And I, I'm going to ask more of you than I've ever asked before. And, and that may be a little bit of a pattern we're going to hit into. It's one of the kind of changes I wanted to make in coming back. But I, I'm going, the content of this is going to be, for some, a little demand. You have to pay attention um, uh, intently. I'm also going to read this message. I spent three days just crafting exactly what I felt I was supposed to say. And um, I, I weighed every word. And I know that you lose something when you read a message. Uh, you lose, you know, you, your personality is kind of taken out of the equation. It's less entertaining. And it's a little harder to pay attention to. But, but we're not here to be entertained, right? Uh, and the content of this is what I want us to get. And so the, I, I don't know if I'll do this again. I don't know how often I'll do it. I, I don't know. I'm kind of taking it week by week. But on this one, I felt I wanted to just get it right. So pay attention to the words of this. Um, we tend to be easily fragmented in our, in our video technological culture where we get bored very easily. But like the magic eye picture, attend to this boring speech. And you might find that the magic eye perspective of the kingdom arises out of it. Now I'll come back to this concept that you can't find the kingdom alongside of the facts of your life. You have to find the kingdom in the depths of the fact of, uh, facts of your life. But before we can embrace a new way of looking for the kingdom and a new way of looking at the kingdom, we've got to acknowledge that we're not yet seeing the kingdom. If you think you've already got it, you can't be open, open to getting it. Most Christians believe they're already seeing the kingdom because they confuse knowing about the kingdom with knowing the kingdom, with being captivated by the kingdom, and therefore with being transformed by the kingdom, but they're entirely different things. Consider this. If the church, in fact, as a whole, is already seeing the kingdom and being captivated by the beauty of the kingdom, why is there so little kingdom in the church as a whole? Think about it. The kingdom looks like Jesus, and when someone is captivated by a vision for the kingdom, they're transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So if the church as a whole already has a captivating vision of the kingdom, why doesn't the church as a whole look more like Jesus dying on Calvary for the people who are crucifying him? 
we've got to say this out loud. If you can't name the problem, you can never move towards the solution. The fact of the matter is that the Church of America looks pretty much like America. Christians generally mirror their culture in almost every respect, as a number of studies have shown. We spend our time and we spend our money pretty much the way average pagan Americans spend their time and spend their money. Our values are basically the values of our pagan culture. Our priorities are, for the most part, the pagan priorities of our culture. We tend to trust pagan power the power of force, about as much as Americans' pagans do, and we tend to trust the, the power of self-sacrificial love about as little as pagan Americans do. I'm speaking about the church at large here. And this, store, this sorry state of affairs would be impossible if the church as a whole was being captivated by a beautiful vision, a transforming vision of the kingdom of God. Even more disturbing than everything I've already just mentioned is this. The church in America, American Christians aren't generally known for their outrageous, sacrificial, Calvary-quality love in the culture. This isn't what we're known for. known for a lot of things, but we're not known for this. And yet this is the essence of the kingdom that we are to be proclaiming, that we are to be manifesting. John defines love. He defines love as Christ dying on the cross for us. And the central task of kingdom people is to manifest this love, to replicate Jesus to others. Jesus said that, the, that love, the commandment the, to love, was the greatest of all the commandments. And if you fulfill this commandment, you fill all the other commandments. The concern to clothe ourselves with Calvary quality love, to wear it like the clothes on our back, is to be placed above every other concern we might possibly have. Above our theology, above our ethics, above our political stance, above our, our nationalism. Paul says that everything we do, every single thing that we do is to be done in love. He goes so far as to say that if we do anything without love, it's altogether worthless, however good it might otherwise be in 1 Corinthians 13. He says that the only thing that matters is faith that is energized by love. In fact, this Calvary quality love is, according to Jesus, to be the thing that God uses to win the world for Jesus Christ, to bring others into the kingdom of God. Everything hangs upon the church manifesting Calvary quality love, upon the church looking like Jesus. And yet, while there are obvious exceptions that we praise God for, isn't it obvious that as a whole, the church doesn't love like this? For all the sermons that we've heard, all the Bible studies we've ever been involved in, all the books that we tend to read, all the conferences and seminars we tend to, att attend, to attend, we're not known for our outrageous loving service to the world. We aren't catching the world's attention with our concern for those who are outcasts, our sacrificial service to the poor and to the homeless, our unusual ability to tear down racial barriers and manifest ethnic diversity, our willingness to help our neighbors, or our, our outrageous, uncommonsensical love for our enemies. We're not known for this. Tax collectors and prostitutes aren't beating down our doors to hang out with us, with, with us the way they did Jesus. And this is the surest proof that we, are, we simply don't love like Jesus loved. Since nothing has any kingdom value except insofar as it manifests God's love, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 
We have to acknowledge that this state of affairs is nothing short of catastrophic. I submit to you that no heresy anyone could ever dream would be worse than this heresy. The church as a whole is guilty of the heresy of lacking Christ-like love, the one thing that is most needful. And we need to feel the full gravity of this. Now let's ask the question, what can be done about this catastrophic heresy the church has fallen into? As people who have been culturally conditioned by our technological age, our inclination is to think that we need to study it further. We need to learn more about it. We need to hear a new twist on a passage. We need to attend another seminar or another uh, a conference. We need to find a religious gimmick or something of the sort. We have been, all of us, conditioned to believe that the solution for almost everything is more information. If only we get new information, a new and fresh idea, this will solve the problem. It's the solution to everything. In fact, I submit to you that we are positively addicted to new information. We expect something new all the time. We expect to get something new out of this sermon. We expect to get something new out of the seminar that we attend, something new out of the book that, that we're reading, something new out of the, the group discussion debate that, that we're being involved in. We're always looking for a new and a fresh and an exciting idea. We're frankly bored when we believe that we're hearing something we've already heard and are reading something we've already read, and we want to move on to something new, something fresh, something exciting. But as helpful as new information often is, isn't it obvious that this catastrophic state of affairs in the church hasn't been caused by a lack of information? And so isn't it obvious that more information isn't going to solve this catastrophic problem? Christians today are a thousand times more informed than any segment of Christianity in the past. Yet no one would argue that the church today is one iota more loving than Christians in the past. And listen to this now. Since Paul says that possessing all knowledge and possessing and understanding all mysteries is worthless without love in 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't this mean that all of our accumulated information, all of our Bible studies, all of our sermons, all of our books, all of our debates, all of our conferences are pretty much worthless? They are worthless except insofar as they form us to be Jesus-looking people. But that's the thing that is lacking. I'm afraid that our perpetual quest for new and fresh and exciting information isn't going to solve this one thing that needs so desperately to be solved, the catastrophic heresy of the modern church. In fact, now listen to me. The exact opposite is true. Our addiction to information has, at least in large part, created this catastrophic problem. Our insatiable curiosity for the new and the fresh and the exciting has prevented us from acquiring the magic eye perspective that sees the, the kingdom deeply and is transformed by this beautiful perception of the kingdom. Our addiction to information has deceived us into thinking that learning about the kingdom is the same as experiencing the kingdom and actually doing kingdom work. This is why the modern church as a whole talks and debates about the kingdom a thousand times more than it actually does the kingdom. Because we think that debating and talking about the kingdom is doing the kingdom, but it's not. 
Our perpetual thirst for new and fresh and exciting information keeps us looking for the kingdom on the page rather than in the depth of the page. We search for the kingdom as a piece of information alongside other pieces of information, as one fact among other interesting facts, when in truth the kingdom can only be discovered in the depth of all information and in the depth of all the facts we experience. The beauty and transforming power of the kingdom can only be discovered when we stop looking for it alongside everything else and adopt a magic eye perspective that looks for it in the depth of everything else, that finds it in the depth of every single moment of our life. Only this will infuse the kingdom life and love we're called to manifest into our life. So the question is, how do we develop this magic eye perspective on the kingdom? Not just know about the kingdom, but actually see the kingdom. And I want us to begin by listening carefully to the words of the Apostle Paul that we read earlier to the Ephesians. When he says this, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Now this is, for most of us here this morning, probably old information. We might may, may be getting bored with it already and may want to be tempted to move on to new and fresh and more exciting information. Tell us something we don't already know. But pretend like you don't know this. Pretend like you've never heard this before. Don't limit the text. Don't limit what the text can say to you by thinking that you already know what it's going to say to you. Relax as you look at this passage deeply and see it See if a wonderful, three-dimensional, magic-eye view of the kingdom doesn't begin to arise out of it. To help us do this, let me draw attention to two aspects of the kingdom and two aspects of our life that Paul talks about here. First of all, Paul reminds us that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Most of us already knew this. But see, the kingdom isn't found in knowing about this fact alongside all the other facts you might know. If this is how you know the kingdom, I assure you, you don't know the kingdom. And you won't be transformed by the kingdom. The kingdom begins to be opened up for us when we know the fact of Christ's love as a dimension of all the other facts we know and, 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 and all the other things that we experience. This is why, listen to this, this is why Paul tells us to live in the fact of God's love proven for us on Calvary. Now, Think about it. We're alive so long as we have brain waves, so long as we have a heartbeat, so long as we have breath. So what Paul is saying is that we are to integrate God's incomprehensible love for us demonstrated on Calvary into every brain wave, every heartbeat, every breath. And insofar as we do this, we're living in the dome in which God is king. And insofar as we don't do this, we're not living in the dome in which God is king. This means... That the fact of God's love isn't a fact. We can learn about once and for all. And then set it on the shelf and move on to new and other more fresh and exciting ideas. Rather, this fact, the fact of God's love, is a holy fact. Holy, which means it's a set-apart fact. Which means that it's radically different from all other facts because this fact is to encompass all facts. Hang with me here. To live in God's love isn't to occasionally remember that God loves you the way you occasionally think about other facts in your life. No. To live in God's love is to be conscious of this love 
regardless of what else you're thinking about, regardless of what else you're experiencing, regardless of every other fact that you might ever attend to. To live in God's love, to live in it, is to acquire a magic eye perspective on the whole of your life and on each and every moment of your life. In knowing and experiencing anything, know also this, superimpose it on everything. You are loved by God in Christ unconditionally and unsurpassably. It is true this very moment. It's also true this very moment. It's true every moment. It's true with every brainwave, with every heartbeat, with every breath. And we are to live in that all-encompassing fact. This is the essence of the kingdom. When you get up in the morning, you're alive. You're breathing. you got brainwaves, at least a few. Your heart is beating. That means that this is the time that you are to be aware that God loves you to the point of dying for the cross, but dying on the cross for you. And as you shower and as you eat your breakfast, you're alive. And that means that this is the right time for you to be aware that you could not be more loved than you are this very moment. And when you get the kids off to school and go to work, and when you read a book and hang out with friends, when you get into a squabble with your neighbor, your spouse, or whoever, when you watch television and when you finally doze off for your night's rest, you're alive. And this means that in each and every one of these moments, you're to be aware that you are the lost sheep that God passionately looks for. You are the lost coin that God so passionately cherishes. You are the prodigal son that the father runs to and, and throws a party for. In each of these moments, in every one of these moments, you're to be aware that you could not be, in your wildest dreams, you could not be more loved than you are right now. And right now. And right now. It's true with that brainwave. It's true with that heartbeat. You just took another breath. Remember that it's true. Live in that love. To live in God's love is to paint each and every stroke of the painting of our life on the canvas of Calvary. Aware of that at every second and aware of that at every stroke, you are loved with the infinitely intense love that God eternally is. With every thought, with every word, every deed, every experience, be conscious of the fact that perfect, unwavering, unconditional love is falling on you like the Niagara waterfalls bashing down on a pebble. You are that pebble in this moment. And now in this moment, let, the, let, let this truth be your every brainwave, your every heartbeat, your every breath. To develop a magic eye of the kingdom requires nothing less than a total revolution of our ordinary consciousness. That's why I call it kingdom consciousness. Scripture says, think about this, listen up, that we're to have the mind of Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ. A mind isn't something you have sometimes, but not others. Though as I read that, I suppose we do sometimes lose our mind. But, but, but a mind is, is something you have all the time. A mind isn't something you can, you can just put aside. Your mind is your consciousness all day long, every day. That's your mind. Have a kingdom consciousness. Be conscious of the kingdom. This is why Scripture says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And why we're to take every thought, every thought captive to Jesus Christ. This obviously isn't something we can do once and for all and then set it on the shelf and move on to new and fresh and more exciting information. If you think like that, you'll never be transformed by the kingdom. 
It is by definition something we must live in moment by moment. It is to experience all of life against the backdrop of Calvary. This is what I mean when I say that we must look for the kingdom not alongside of the facts of our life, but in the depth of every single fact of our life. As you, the, and the more you live in it, the more you experience it. And the more you experience it, the more you're captivated by it. And the more you're captivated by it, the more you're transformed by it moment by moment. You become, as Paul says, you become what you see. You know, but you'll only see it when you, look, when you stop looking for it alongside of everything else as an interesting piece of information. You only see it when you're looking in the depth of everything else. Living in this ever-present love is the central task of kingdom people. Indeed, this is what it is to be the kingdom of God. It is as profoundly simple as it is profoundly challenging. No task could be more difficult. It's so challenging that we will certainly fail. In fact, before I'm done with this sermon, it's likely that you and I both will have forgotten probably several times the one thing we need to remember. Our minds are so scattered. Don't let this disturb you. As with the magic eye picture we showed earlier, getting frustrated will only block your capacity to see. Judgment of ourselves blocks the flow of God's love as much as judgment of others. What matters, and the only thing that matters, is that you're remembering it right now. Right now you're aware of the fact that God's unsurpassable love is burning, is burning towards you. You remember it now. So remember it. Be aware of it. And now try to be aware of it this moment. And now this moment. And now the next moment. Let God's grace cover a multitude of sins and just attend to the moment. People sometimes say that we've got to take life one day at a time. But for kingdom people, we have to take life one second at a time. To be awake, to remain awake, not to fall into the lull of world sleep, but to be aware of what is and what is. Is that right now, with this breath, with that brainwave, with that heartbeat, you could not be more loved than you are right now. The second thing that Paul draws our attention to, I said there's two things. The second thing that he says in this passage about the kingdom is that we, kingdom people, are to mimic God. We're to mimic God. We're to imitate God. Think of living in the kingdom as a moment-by-moment dance between you and God. God leads in the dance with his first step of love taken on Calvary. We follow him in the dance with our step of love. If we attend to God's step moment-by-moment, our step will naturally follow. The second dimension of the, of, of the kingdom Paul is helping us see is that we're to imitate God in what I'd call the kingdom dance. Now listen to this. The, the word Paul uses that's translated imitate, imitate it's mimitai in Greek, it literally means to mimic or to shadow. We're to do exactly what we see God doing, nothing more and nothing less, just like my shadow does exactly what I do, nothing more, nothing less. This is our central task as kingdom people. We're to follow God's every move in the dance, just as Jesus did. Shadowing God in a moment-by-moment fashion is what it means to be godly or godlike. You're imitating God. Mimicking God's every step is also what it means to be Christian or Christ-like. Everything people of God are called to do is found in this one command. To the extent that we do it, we are by definition godly and Christian. To the extent that we don't do it, we're not godly, we're not Christian, we're just people. Now Paul fleshes out exactly what, it, uh, what this mimicking or shadowing looks like when he says, if we imitate God, what will it look like? He says, live in love. 
as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. We are to love others like Christ loved us, dying for us on Calvary while we were yet sinners. This too is for most of us old information. We want to feed our curiosity by seeking for a new angle on a biblical text or a fresh approach to an exciting theological controversy. But I'm afraid the kingdom is not found in knowing about this command alongside the multitude of other information we might know and other experiences that we might have. If this is how you know this command, you neither know nor obey this command. The beauty of the command, which is simply an aspect of the beauty of the kingdom of God, begins to be opened up for us when we know this command as a, as a dimension of all that we know and a dimension, the depth of all that we experience. And this, again, is why Paul says we are to live in the command to love, just like we're to live in our awareness of God's perfect love for us. As we freely receive from God, we're to freely give life to others. And we are to live in this dance, live in this dance of receiving and giving. This is the kingdom dance. The command to love is to permeate our every brainwave, our every heartbeat, our every breath, just as and for the exact same reason that our awareness of God's perfect love is to permeate our every brainwave, our every heartbeat, our every breath. In fact, to do the one is to do the other. And insofar as we do this, we live in the kingdom. And insofar as we don't, we don't live in the kingdom. This means that the command to love others isn't a fact we can learn about once and for all and then set it on the shelf and move on to new and more exciting information. It means that this fact, the fact of the command to love like Christ loved, is a holy fact, which means it's a set-apart fact, a fact that's different from all other facts because this fact is to encompass all other facts. To live in love is not to occasionally love others. When you think about it, to live in love means you don't just love when it's convenient, when you think another person deserves it, when you don't find their lifestyle morally objectionable, when they're not your enemies and they're not threatening your nation. Rather, the command to love is to encompass all the other facts of our life, and thus all the people that we might ever encounter in our life. If our love is in any respect selective, we're not living in love. We're certainly not living in Christ-like love. For Christ gave his life for all people. To live in love is, if you will, to acquire a magic eye perspective on all people. Just as it is to acquire a magic eye perspective on yourself as someone who is perfectly loved by God each and every moment. We're empowered to see, moment by moment, what no one else can see. Namely, the beauty of the unsurpassable worth each person has because Jesus paid an unsurpassable price for them. We see it in ourselves, we see it in others because we're looking in the right way moment by moment. When this beautiful worth arises forth like a magic eye picture, we're freed from the need to find any relevance in anything else we might see in others, however ugly, however objectionable, however sinful it might be. Whatever else we know or whatever else we think we know about another person, we are to know this. Whether they're a friend, a stranger, or a terrorist, our central task in life is to love them, ascribe to them worth just like God loved us. Christ ascribed worth to us by dying for us on Calvary. And in seeing this worth, the more we see it, the more motivated we are to ascribe it. And the more we ascribe it, the more we do it. This is the kingdom dance. 
This is the second step in the kingdom dance, the second dimension, if you will, of the mindset we're to have, what I'm calling kingdom consciousness. To do this is to die to our old self and put on a new self on a moment-by-moment basis by the renewing of our mind, as Paul says in Ephesians 4. It's to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ, something that can only be done on a moment-by-moment basis. You can't decide to do this this morning and then this afternoon get bored with it and put it on the shelf as you move on to more new and exciting and fresh information. In every moment, in all places, toward all people, in all circumstances, with every brainwave, with every heartbeat, with every breath, we are to receive and reflect to others the unsurpassable and unconditional worth that God ascribes to us on Calvary. We are to love exactly as we are loved, moment by moment. And that is everything. That is the kingdom dance. We're to be aware of and to mimic what God has done for us on Calvary, moment by moment. This is the dance. This is the center. This is everything. Dancing with God, which is to say living in love, as Paul commands, and doing it moment by moment, infuses every moment of life with kingdom joy. It infuses every moment of life with kingdom peace. It infuses every moment of life with eternal significance. Every moment is now infused with the kingdom. The kingdom isn't found as an experience alongside of other experiences. If it's experienced at all, it's experienced in the depth of all other experiences. So what does this look like? When you greet your spouse and children in the morning, don't allow your mind to be dulled by the ordinariness of it all. Don't have a worldling consciousness. Have a kingdom consciousness. Dance. Dance with God this moment because it's all that you have. Be aware that your only task as a kingdom person is to mimic God and to love them as Christ loved you in this moment and then in the next moment. And when you hang out with friends or casually greet a stranger, don't allow the casualness of it all to lull you into a, the sleepless, the meaningless sleep that curses fallen minds, walking half awake, half conscious throughout the world, throughout their lives. Remember that the eternal significance of this moment is found in your willingness to mimic God toward them this moment. When you hear about a neighbor in need, don't allow your self-centered, the self-centered pattern of the world to cause you to instinctively and mindlessly exclude, exclude yourself. Instead, knowing that you are loved this moment, act in love this moment. Shadow what God has done for you on Calvary. And when a co-worker, neighbor, or, or, or fellow church attendee uh, hurts you by gossiping about you, don't fall into that mindless, robotic, tit-for-tat, angry pattern of the world. Be awake. Be a kingdom person. And in this moment, forgive them, even if they don't ask for it. When you hear of terrorists threatening our nation, don't follow the, the, the self-protective, tribalistic uh, instinct and, and let that rule your thought and your mind. Take the thought captive to Christ in the moment, knowing that you, you were once an enemy who was nevertheless loved. Love your enemies, as Jesus taught us. And when our church body needs volunteers and financial help to further the work of the kingdom, don't let the robotic cultural conditioning of our age conform you to its self-centered materialistic pattern Knowing that Jesus expressed his love for you by bleeding for you, bleed with the church out of love for others. 
living in this ever-present love, dancing with Christ in the eternal dance, this is our only task as kingdom people. If we do this, as Jesus promised, as Paul promised, as James promised, if we fulfill this, everything else we need to fulfill will get done. But if we don't fulfill this, there is absolutely nothing else worth getting done. This is our central task as, as, as kingdom people. Until we get this done, there's no point, except insofar as we're doing this. There's no point in even being curious as kingdom people about anything else. Now, it's good to get other new and fresh and exciting information, but only insofar as this is getting done, and therefore this is being expressed in the new and fresh and exciting information that we're, uh, that, that we're learning. This is what it means, saints of God. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God, as Jesus taught us. It's not to seek the kingdom now and then later on move on to other topics when we get bored with it. It's not to make a resolution. I will seek first the kingdom of God and then forget about it. It's to seek first the kingdom of God in this moment as the eternal significance of this moment. To be aware of the love that comes to you and the, the love that can flow through you at this moment. And now in this moment. In relationship to this person. And now in relationship to this person. To seek first the kingdom of God as a part of our mind. To have the mind of Christ. Part of our consciousness. To at all times, in all places, towards all people. Even ourselves when we're utterly alone. To express, to manifest the perfect unbroken love of God. In that moment, to seek the kingdom first in this moment. And when we seek, Jesus promises us, we will find. The beauty of the kingdom rises out of our lives like a magic three-dimensional eye picture, for the beauty of kingdom is being infused into each moment of our lives. And the more we do the beauty of the kingdom moment by moment, the clearer we see the beauty of the kingdom moment by moment. And the more we see the beauty of the kingdom moment by moment, the more we do the beauty of the kingdom moment by moment. And this is the dance. This is the center. This is everything. So I close just by saying this. Don't look for the kingdom alongside of all the facts of your life. There's one little piece of information that you know amidst your massive amount of information. Don't look for the kingdom as a body of information alongside all the other information you know. You may learn about the kingdom this way. You may learn a great deal about the kingdom this way. And that's fine. But you'll never really see the kingdom. You'll never be captivated by the kingdom and so you'll never be thoroughly transformed by the kingdom. You only really see the kingdom when you seek for it in the depth of all the facts of your life and in the depth of all the information that you know and in the depth of every experience that you have in this moment and now in this moment and then in every moment. You see it by doing it. And you do it by seeing it. And that's the dance. That's the dance. It doesn't matter that you see it this moment, really. Uh, not to me. What matters is that you see it in the next moment, two minutes from now. Are you aware of the love, the Niagara Falls of love falling on you, and aware that there's one command you have in your life to replicate this to others? Are you aware of this out in the gathering area when you rub shoulders to others? Or will we just fall back into our robotic conditioning and just treat each other like, you know, worldlings usually do? And when we're driving out of the parking lot, what matters is that you remember at that moment. That's what I care about. What matters is that when you're having lunch with your family or, or going home to read a book on your own, you're, you're, you're mindful. You have the mind of Christ. The thoughts are being taken captive. You're, you're walking awake. Walking awake is everything. What matters is that a week from now and a month from now and a year from now, on a Tuesday morning as you're taking a shower, you're aware of the Niagara Falls of God's love that's falling on you. 
It doesn't mean that it's the center of, of, of your attention, uh, but it does mean that it, you're always tacitly aware of this. You will fail, I will fail, probably before we get out to the gathering area. We are so culturally conditioned to sleep. But the task of the kingdom is to walk awake. And only insofar as we do that does the magic eye come out. Attend to that each and every moment. Go forth and put on the mind of Christ. I want to clo- uh, close with a word of prayer. As I do so, could I ask the prayer team to come forward? And if you're here and have any need that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to stay. And, and come up here and pray with these folks. If uh, you are not a kingdom person, you've never made the decision to do that, uh, and, and maybe now you, you're making that decision, you want to live in, in obedience to Christ, I encourage you to come up here and tell us about it. To my right, your left, this wonderful, stunning young lady would love to explain to you what that's involved in becoming a Christian and joining the, the people of God. Can we stand? This was weird for me. Uh, I know it was weird, probably even weirder for you. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I have to clap buzzers in my brain uh, about this isn't spiritual for my Pentecostal background. This is boring, boring for my ADHD personality. But see, all I care about, the only thing I care about is seeing the kingdom and being transformed by the kingdom in my own life and helping others see it. I really, I care. It, 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 this has got to be done. Father, help us remember, help us remember, help us remember, help us remember. Father, as we're walking out of here and rubbing shoulders, God, help us to stay awake and not let the robotic, neurological conditioning of our upbringing cause us to ignore people, to live in a self-protected mode, to live in a self-centered mode, to not, be, to not move out of our comfort zone. Help us to greet people that we don't know, to, to just smile, to express the love of Christ and friendship towards others. And as we drive out of here and as we go home and as we uh, do our yard work and as we dialogue with our neighbors and God, a multitude of trillion other things that we do, God, help us to see that the only way to see is by walking with eyesight and, and uh, to, to see you in the depth of each and every moment of our life, Lord God. Your kingdom is altogether beautiful because it looks like Jesus and we want to be transformed into that beauty, Lord. Help us to be mindful of it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. The altar is open.